standing at 7,225. Uh, that's 0.62% higher. OK, let's take a look at the weather. Cloudy with one or two light rain patches. Rather cool this morning and tonight. And the maximum temperature around 17 degrees during the day. Moderate to fresh northerly winds. Occasionally strong offshore at first. Uh, the outlook rather cool with a few rain patches in the next couple of days. Winds strengthening from the north and it will become cold appreciably uh, during the weekend. Uh, currently 15 Celsius. Uh, that's 60% relative humidity at the observatory. Up next we'll have a back chat with Jim Gould and Ada Wong. I'll see you tomorrow for Money Talk at 8.30. And now with the news headlines, here's Andrew. The Secure, Secretary for Security, Chris Tang, says the government will make use of whatever means possible to correct Google's search results after the Internet giant refused to make sure that March of the Volunteers comes up as Hong Kong's national anthem. He quoted Google as saying it couldn't change the top results on its search engine because they're based on an algorithm. Mr. Tang said he found the explanation both unacceptable and unbelievable, adding that the search engine results hurt the feelings of Hong Kong people. We've made representation with Google for the national anthem to be put on top, but this was rejected. And what they say is that this is a part of the algorithm. It's not for them to um, to decide. It's all down to algorithm. But as we all know, if you pay for advertising, they would put the advertisement at a pretty high level. If Google were to say that there is nothing they can do about it, then this is a really mind-boggling. And this is not acceptable to the people of Hong Kong. Police have arrested three men on suspicion of unlawful imprisonment and possessing imitation firearms. Officials said they received intelligence that a man was being held in a room at a motel on Temple Street over a debt of around $300,000. The police entered the room to save the victim and seized around 100 grams of suspected cannabis in the process. A man convicted of killing two pro-government militiamen in Iran has been hanged from a crane in the city of Mashhad. An exiled rights group claims a false confession was forced out of Majid Reza Ranavard. Mahmoud Amiri Mogadam, the spokesman for the Norwegian NGO Iran Human Rights, said he was concerned executions could rise. We might be facing mass executions because those ruling Iran right now, they have been involved in mass execution of uh, protesters and political prisoners in the 80s. They know how to do it. They are capable of doing it. And if reactions are not strong enough, they might be doing it again. The Palestinian prime minister has called for an international investigation into the fatal shooting of a teenage girl by Israeli soldiers in the occupied West Bank. Mohammed Shtaya accused Israel of killing 16-year-old Jana Zakarna in cold blood. She was shot in the head as she stood on the roof of her house. Israel says there's a high probability that it was an accident. Brazil's president-elect, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, has been officially certified as the winner of October's tightly contested election. In an emotional speech at a ceremony at the Electoral Commission headquarters, he said democracy had won, in spite of attempts by the far-right president, Jair Bolsonaro, to discredit the electoral system. Here's the BBC's Katie Watson. Lula had only just started speaking when he choked back tears, remembering that 20 years ago, standing in the very same ceremony, Brazilians had just voted in their first president without a university degree. 
As he gathered himself, people stood up and clapped, chanting his name. Lula went on, I know how much this cost me and the Brazilian people waiting for democracy to return to this country, referring to his victory after four years under far-right Jair Bolsonaro. The president of the European Parliament says the institution is coming under attack after a scandal emerged involving alleged payments to lawmakers by Qatar. Addressing the chamber in Strasbourg, Roberta Mazzola said the assembly would be launching an internal investigation over the corruption allegations. We will launch an internal investigation to look at all the facts related to the Parliament and to look at how our systems can become yet more watertight. There will be no business as usual. We will launch a reform process to see who has access to our premises, how these organisations, NGOs and people are funded, what links with third countries they have. We will ask for more transparency on meetings with foreign actors and those linked to them. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter today is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about uh, the proposal to amend six pieces of legislation in order to cut red tape and speed up land development. The administration says the amendments are aimed at streamlining and shortening statutory time limits, avoiding repetitive procedures, allowing officials to proceed with different procedures in parallel, improving inconsistent or ambiguous arrangements and making more effective use of public resources. The proposals will be introduced to LegCo for a first reading on uh, next Wednesday, with the uh, government saying it hopes they'll be passed in the first half of 2023. At the same time, environmental impact assessments are being are to be handled faster and won't be required at all for projects covering less than 50 hectares. After 9.15, we'll talk about the latest arrangements for the Hong Kong Marathon in February, with a further 12,000 runners allowed to take part, bringing the total to 37,000. And at 9.25, we'll get the latest World Cup update from our sports correspondent, Atom Chung. Uh, let us know what you think on any of these topics. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And we're joined uh, now on the line by Jacqueline Hoy, uh, a researcher with the Our Hong Kong Foundation, and also Albert Lai, a policy convener of the Professional Commons. Um, good morning to you both. Uh, perhaps, uh, Jacqueline Hoy, we could start with you. Hello, good morning. So the purpose uh, of these plans is to reduce the time taken to create uh, what they call um, a primitive site into a spade-ready site. Uh, uh, the reduction hoped for, at least, will be uh, from uh, six years down to four years uh, for uh, sort of average size and, and down and for larger areas time required will be compressed from 13 years to seven years taken all together do you think these measures are going to have the desired effect yeah overall speaking the government's proposal to shorten the development procedures is going to help shorten the development cycle a lot because the currently when we observe the development cycle of various NDA and the 
under construction like the Kutong Law, a lot of red tapes or overlaps in different regulations are making the entire development cycle very long. So, for instance, the Kutong Law NDA was first proposed in 2007, but the first batch of state-ready sites can only be delivered in um, 2021, which is 14 years which takes 40 years. In particular, if we like look at the development cycle, the preparation work such as um, public engagement, planning, and land resumption actually took 12 years before the construction works really start. So it was evidence that the development procedures need to be reviewed and shortened to address the housing shortage we have been facing for years. Um, but having said that, uh, the proposal so far only concerns the statutory procedures, and uh, this the effect is going to cut down the time for perhaps 8 to 18 months. So there's still a long way to go to cut the red tape, especially uh, just now you mentioned that the Bureau's target is to cut down the time for large-scale large development by six years. Mm. Um, Jacqueline Ho, um, yep. where, where is the bottleneck? Uh, I mean, yeah, you, you talked about the, uh, the Kutong uh, development from 2007 to 2021, 14 years. So, so which part of the uh, process took the longest and um, is there still room for uh, compressing it further? Yes, so uh, when we look at the Kutong North NDA, we find that uh, the planning, the initial planning and also the public engagement uh, already took uh, six years. If we are just uh, talking about how to agree on the outline development plan. And then uh, apart from the multiple rounds of public engagement, there were also uh, other statutory procedures like the EIA or statutory plan making or land resumption, all these procedures also have their own consultation and engagement exercise on the very same NDA repetitively. So uh, apart from uh, streamlining the statutory procedures, perhaps the next step is to see how um, the government can better consolidate and enhance the effectiveness of the initial uh, community engagement. For instance, perhaps instead of uh, three rounds of public engagement, maybe two rounds or one round, and uh, but then uh, the government and uh, have to ensure that it's a comprehensive public engagement and is uh, taking initiative to respond and address the concerns raised in this public um, engagement exercise. And of course, there are um, uh, other stages as well, for example, like the land administrations or the uh, construction phases all have um, red tape to, to be cut. And our details can be further elaborated if we have time later. You're right. And, and you're not um, terribly worried about um, uh, the shortening of procedure and hence, um, you know, fewer voices uh, from the residents will be heard. I think uh, there is uh, no dispute that uh, public consultation is very important to assess the impact of a development of various stakeholders. Uh, but then uh, the question we need to think about is whether the current procedure is the most efficient way to achieve its goal. Uh, I think um, I believe that spending a very long time on public engagement or simply doing it repetitively does not necessarily mean that it's a good engagement exercise. Instead, uh, when we think about what we want to achieve from this public engagement is that we want to refine the fields and build mutual trust uh, in society to agree on the development direction. <coughs> so achieve this when we think of how to enhance the public engagement, 
um, itself just looking at the quantity measured in times uh, or durations. We actually focus more on quality. That is whether the government can actively facilitate consensus building across different stakeholders and then at the same time um, really respond to the concerns raised in this engagement exercise such that uh, actions can be taken and things can proceed forward instead of discussing it again and again. Okay. Well, let, uh, let's bring in Albert Lai. Good morning to you. Uh, good morning. Thank, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, so this bill is going to be introduced into LegCo tomorrow for its first reading. Uh, what's your view of it? Well, I think we have to look at the, um, um, the, both the purpose of this bill and also the details in the bill. Now, obviously, the purpose of uh, streamlining the procedures and all that, I mean, that looks very well on paper. And in fact, I would support some of the... Uh, uh, refinements, for example, uh, this you know changing those this this so-called two plus nine to two plus five months, mm -hmm. meaning that will be sort shortening the uh, uh, plan making period by developers or by the government after receiving representations from nine months to five months. I think that these are you know certainly workable um, because they are basically cutting down the bureaucracy. We just let, let's remember. And I know that um, you know many people accuse these days, you know, of the, the reason for the development is, is because of public consultations and so on. But in fact, if you really look at uh, the track record of past developments, a lot of it is due to the delay in bureaucracies and also due to delay uh, or, or extension of time given to developers, you know, for revising their plans and so on. So those periods can certainly be shortened, and that's good. Now, but on the other hand, uh, these proposals also contain very severe uh, restrictions on public engagement, and that is a danger. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I would dare to say that uh, if these this, uh, amendments are passed, uh, uh, you know, without any further changes, we'll be seeing a very different Hong Kong, you know, in 10 years or 20 years' time, right? Yeah. Um, let, let me give you some examples. Oh, um, yeah, please. Now, for example, in this bill, it talks about cutting, removing the public consultation for Session 12A. Now, Session 12A in the time planning audience is one of the very few provisions in the bill, in the ordinance, that allow the public to submit uh, amendments to, uh, to the outline zoning plan so it's an active participation by citizens on the planning process. And that has been used effectively in the past 10 years to, to, to get a better Hong Kong. For instance, if we don't have Session 12A, then government here would not be saved. You know, we'll be seeing big commercial buildings in the uh, central government offices these days. Uh, and PMQ will not be there anymore because the government's original intention, you know, was to sell this piece of land to developers, and um, uh, even the central police station complex, which these days, you know, is viewed as, you know, one of the top attractions in Hong Kong uh, by international tourists, mm. won't be here anymore because uh, the government's original intention, you know, was to, you know, is to collaborate with developers and make it commercial. Now, uh, but remember, all these, all these, uh, 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 landmarks uh, I talk about was there only because civil society has used successfully Session 12A 
and other provisions in the bill, in public consultation, uh, in the ordinance for public consultation, to advocate for better planning. Mm-hmm. Right? So if we remove all that, remove the civil society participation in the, in the time planning process, that means government intentions will go through uh, without any questions. Will we get a better Hong Kong or worse Hong Kong? I mean, that is a big question that all of your listeners have to uh, think through. Yeah, um, uh, Albert, uh, uh, yes, you, you mentioned uh, some very important landmarks uh, today uh, in Central in particular. Um, this bill targets uh, the northern metropolis and the um, you know, development of the northern area. Uh, from your experience, uh, what, what kind of issues do you see you know, when the um, public engagement is compressed? And, and are there any uh, sort of mitigation measures? For example, I can think of asking the government to do heritage impact assessments or social impact assessments so that um, we know early on where the pain points are and uh, you know, w- which part of the uh, population would be uprooted and what are their concerns. Uh, you know, rather than waiting for the public to go to the town planning board and to object, could the government be more proactive in, in the very first days? Yeah, well, thanks, thanks uh, Ada, for raising this very good question. Um, I think the proper answer to that, you know, to give a proper answer, we have to really look at the current political process, I'm afraid. Um, now, obviously, the government would like to have more and more control over the development process, including the EIAs and so on. Now, that's fine. But the fact is that uh, uh, no government in the world will always have the decisions right. That's a fact. Um, and that's the mitigation. In Hong Kong's case, the mitigation doesn't come from the Legislative Council, and we all know that, but not today's Legislative Council. So the only mitigation measures when the government actually pulls for wrong, some wrong decisions is by citizens. And citizens will need some procedures to make it, unless you want people to come out on the streets every day. Right? If you, so obviously that is not a process we want to see. I mean, it's not a phenomenon we want to see. So that's why this sort of time planning process, I would say, is, that, is already the minimal. I mean, the current time planning process is actually heavily dominated by executive power and heavily influenced by big commercial interests. So citizens, there are only a very small group of citizens who are willing to invest their time and effort to advocate for better planning, you know, through this process. And we should thank them for that, right? If not for them, you know, the landmarks we talk about will be all gone, you know, over the past 10 years. Um, so, so now... But if you look at what the government is saying, they are not thanking these civil society groups. They are actually removing their room for participation in the process. Um, and I think that is a risk that we have to be, be fully aware of. Mm. Uh, Jacqueline Hoy, how, how would yeah. you, how would you uh, respond to what Albert Lai is saying? Yeah, I actually want to make a point on uh, the Session 12A consultation. Oh, well, actually, I like somehow I agree with uh, Albert's point, but I want to uh, highlight perhaps the, the technical reason why there's uh, a need to revise 12A. Um, then, uh, because uh, as mentioned just now, 12A has a public consultation period for uh, different people to voice their opinions on a rezoning request. 
but then at the same time, after 12A request is permitted, uh, at the later stage, um, the development still needs to wait for the statutory outline plan uh, to be confirmed in another statutory uh, plan-making procedures before the developments can actually uh, start. So what we see in uh, in Hong Kong now is that even after a 12-8 sections, many concerning or rezoning new territories or agricultural land perhaps for, for low-density residential projects, um, it still has to wait until the relevant uh, outline zoning plan is confirmed before any development can start. So we see a time gap here, and also for the uh, plan-making procedure, there's also another public engagement exercise. So there are two like repetitive public engagement exercises, and we think that um, there should like there's room for improvement and also for streamlining the, the engagement period. But I agree. Uh, but I agree that it's still very important for the citizens to voice out their opinions, and even under the streamlined procedures, there's still room for people to talk about whether they agree or uh, agree or disagree with certain or uh, rezoning requests. So uh, that's what I think about the 12A. Mm -hmm. And then regarding uh, Ada's points just now on the heritage, I also agree that actually the government should have a clearer strategy on the heritage protections, especially or uh, perhaps they should do the stock take on the uh, heritage that will be affected by the uh, Northern Metropolis plan and such that uh, when it has a clearer idea on the heritage inside the area, it can plan earlier. Uh, on how to conserve this heritage or how to balance the development needs and conservation needs. And uh, right now, uh, even after the Northern Metropolis strategy is out, we haven't seen a very uh, active effort from the government on the planning for this regard. So I, perhaps that, uh, I think that perhaps this aspect can be something that the government can have a closer look into. Okay, what, what do you make of the uh, requirement for people making representations to the town planning board to, uh, for, for personal attendance? They have to appear in person and then the board may be able to set a time limit on uh, you know, the amount of time that they speak. I think this, uh, the, the reason why uh, there's uh, this amendment is that uh, we, all, we always see somehow there are a lot of repetitive written submissions mm. and if the representative of these written submissions um, do not want to attend the meeting in person, they can delegate uh, and other persons to help them speak during the meeting. So the problem is that uh, a lot of people may delegate the time to the very same person, such that this person may have more time to speak in the uh, public hearings. And oftentimes, uh, we are talking about if like uh, one if one person delegates one uh, one representative, the representative will get double time. So if two more people delegate uh, to the same uh, representative, this representative can get triple or even more time. So somehow it's not uh, a very fair use of the time and also it's not uh, utilizing the public hearing very efficiently. So I, like, I somehow understand the concerns of why there's such an arrangement. So that even though um, now the representatives uh, must attend in person, but um, I think this arrangement still keeps uh, the, like, still conserve the rights for publics to voice their opinions in the public hearing. Mm -hmm. Albert Lai, re reasonable? 
Yeah, sorry. Well, um, no, I appreciate Jacqueline's um, comments on, on the importance of uh, public engagement. Um, now, if we look at the, each of these um, changes, it may look tiny in its own right, you know, like, you know, removing one level of public consultation or cutting or limiting the time for speaking and so on. Now, but if you take it as a whole, uh, it becomes very restrictive. Now, because we got to remember how civil society works, right? Um, I mean, civil society is not like the government you know, or not, not like a developer, you know, a boss at the top. You press the button, you know, you put in a million dollars for publicity, then, you know, you know, hundreds of people will work for you, you know, and the machine will go, will go up. It doesn't work like that. I mean, for civil part participation to be effective, time is of an essence. I mean, unless you can get enough time to mobilize people to actually educate the public so that the community understand, you know, those complex uh, planning issues, and then they will react, and then they may have a very strong opinion, and then they will probably write to the town planning board, and then they will probably make presentations and so on. So, so that, that, that procedure is important in any open society. Uh, because otherwise, if you use these administrative measures, you know, to, to put all sorts of limits you know, in time, in representation, and so on, effectively, you are killing uh, public participation. You only have public participation in name only. Now, and not to forget the fact that the composition of the time planning board is entirely undemocratic. Unlike other countries, we don't have any democratic representation in time planning board. Uh, and it's actually heavily controlled uh, by the executive. Um, so even with all these representations and so on, I mean, the campaigning board, you know, they can hide behind their procedures. Uh, I mean, the board members, you know, they can vote against a certain uh, amendment without, you know, revealing its identity and so on. So, so all these, uh, if you add all this up together, we would be seeing a more and more kind of close look um, time planning process, and that close look planning process is bound to have more collusion, more corruption. I mean, I'm not, I'm not accusing any particular one of corruption and collusion these days, but I'm just talking about the, in terms of the procedures. If you want to, have, the more open and transparent, and the, the more room for public participation, then we will have a better governance. And if we are going, you know, the other way, you know, we will have. Your poorer governance. Well, uh, uh, Jacqueline, if I could just uh, add a little bit, um, uh, I, I think it also depends uh, what our government is thinking. Um, is it still development at all costs, or is it um, development uh, with respect to um, you know sustainability and with respect to heritage and also? Um, you know, some of our traditional industries. I guess the Kutong North, I, uh, you know, in that area, I noticed that there were a couple of uh, uh, old traditional um, companies such as uh, a soy sauce plant and also um, uh, a large woodcutter, and um, they w were displaced uh, with, uh, with really, you know, no, com uh, well, there's a little bit of compensation, but you can never resume business as normal. So, so if the government uh, has a more comprehensive look, perhaps these amendments will make better sense, right? Yeah, actually, I want to respond to Albert's point. Like, I uh, agree totally on the importance for 
of public participation in all these uh, town planning and also development procedures. And I think you also raise a good point that it's very important that the government needs to enhance its transparency and openness. But I think the, old, the, the main point that I understand that is more about whether government provides sufficient information such as it's able to educate the public or allows the public to understand the development procedure easier. So it's more about the qualities of information and content the government or like or any other applicants provide in advance to assist the public to make a better and also an informed decision during the consultations process. If we are just allowing a long time on consultation instead of improving the transparency or the quality of information, um, I think that uh, is not um, like is not necessarily a very effective consultation process per se. And then uh, it is uh, also make a point on uh, it is just now also make a point on the on display like uh, the brownfield op or other operators being displayed in the process. So I think um, there are a lot of like a lot more complex issues that can be tackled by uh, ordinances or regulations. So especially when you are talking about uh, relocating certain old factories or certain um, operators on the development side, it concerns whether the government has a comprehensive industrial policy. Mm. For instance, uh, like on the brownfield operators, there are actually a lot of them are from logistic sectors, which is actually one of the Hong Kong's economic pillars. Yeah, sorry, sorry, going to have to interrupt you there because we need to take a break for the news, but uh, we'll continue at three minutes past. I think we have to say uh, goodbye and thank you now to Albert Lai, policy convener of the Professional Commons. Um, uh, quick look at the weather. It's going to be cloudy with one or two light rain patches, uh, cool in the morning and at night. Uh, the outlook... Uh, Cool with a few rain patches in the next couple of days and getting cold at the weekend. It's currently 15 degrees, humidity 61%. Bill says there's a high probability that it was an accident. You're listening to the news on RTHK. And welcome back to Back Chat with Ada Wong and me, Jim Gould. And this morning we're talking about uh, plans to streamline the development process in order to have uh, land ready for housing development uh, a lot faster than it is now and also um, reducing the time for major developments uh, from more or less a, an average of 13 years down to about seven years. Um, we're, with us, we have on the line a Jacqueline Hoy, who's a researcher with the Our Hong Kong Foundation. We're also now joined on the line by Caesar Choi, a member of the LIBOR research community. Um, uh, Caesar Choi, good morning to you. Good morning. So how effective do you think uh, these proposals are going to be? Well, first of all, I think we need to recognise that this is a really big bundle of bills that entails a different uh, different procedures and in general and overall it would result in a the bill would result in a very dominant government administration power and greatly compressing the uh, public partic participation rights in that um, for example the right to rezoning became a uh, it became limited to its owner and occupier and and but this is not like the essence of planning it also has great uh, effects on surrounding areas and also the land resumption before the work funding were approved would result in a lot of maybe um, 
unnecessary situations of reclamations and also uh, land resumption. So, and together with all the, for example, town planning ordinance, uh, town planning board may impose a time limit on uh, the public um, representation. It, it's a it's a great bundle of bills that greatly reduces um, public participation and at, at the expense of our quality of planning. Mm. So, so you ha- it sounds like you you have uh, some quite serious uh, reservations about it. Yeah, of course, mm. because um, I think I think the overall tone or, or the general need for Hong Kong's development now is it's not that it, it's it's not so long, but um, I think a more a more general concern is the quality of planning. We can see that um, um, perhaps uh, some development projects in previous years, like the uh, Queens, Queens, Queens Hill development, it, it is it is a very high it is a very high density development in uh, a quite remote area. And although we can kind of uh, see that there is a great increase in the quantity quantity of uh, housing, but we also need to ensure the quality of planning. For example, the density problem and environmental concerns, especially in relation to the uh, land, uh, the land out to more vision. Um, <clears throat> some legislators are saying that uh, you know, with the shortened um, admin procedures proposed by these uh, big bundles of bills. Um, um, more housing units uh, could be built uh, more quickly, and as a result, in the new territories in particular, there will be like a hundred thousand more units. Um, what, what, what do you make of this argument? Um, first, um, I think the key to providing more um, public housing is not just about the quantity of land or the earlier availability of land. It's, it's also about uh, how does the government uses the land in the end, and also the and also the um, public opinion? So it is the planning process is a dynamic process. So if you say if the government throws out a plan and to build a um, like a high density public housing in a in a particular area, and perhaps perhaps even the uh, residents in surrounding areas may. Uh, opposed to it, so it is not just about the availability of land, but it's also about how the government chooses to use the land and how it interacts with uh, residents and the public in general. Could I ask you both about uh, a very much related development? Uh, so the Secretary for the Environment was at LegCo yesterday explaining that uh, the plan is to uh, uh, streamline the process of uh, environmental impact uh, assessment reports, uh, in, in, essentially to halve it, and then uh, projects w- uh, less than 50 hectares won't even need uh, an EIA at all. Um, um, Jacqueline Hoy, is that something that you would support? Well, I think for the EIA uh, revisement, what I uh, agree is that uh, the EIA ordinance actually provides a centralized information database mm-hmm. which uh, consolidates uh, relevant environmental data which can be used in uh, EIA for other projects, not just uh, the one project. So it's actually helped 
uh, raise the effectiveness and also the efficiency of doing the the EIA assess uh, the EIA in different development projects. And I think it's also uh, providing a clearer picture on the general environmental conditions around the development as, as well, because previously we don't have an idea on uh, like the comprehensive environmental conditions around those areas. So it make uh, the assessments uh, very long and also uh, very complicated because we need to collect uh, data near uh, like near the areas again and again. So I think these procedures can like uh, can tackle the pain points in the EIA and hopefully shortens the time reasonably as well. Um, Jacqueline, are you <coughs> worried about that the uh, quality of planning is compromised? I mean, for sure, we need housing units uh, for people, but we also need to build a, a good community. And uh, with climate changes coming and extreme weather, we need the community to be sustainable. Uh, a lot of factors has to be put in uh, into a, a more comprehensive decision. And the speed of um, approval is probably just one aspect of it. Yeah, I agree. So uh, just now you mentioned a lot of important aspects for a sustainable city. We're talking about uh, climate resilience. We're also talking about the quality of life of the residents there. And I think a lot of this planning is not simply done through any ordinances. It's more about whether the government have a long-term strategic vision and also the medium-term plans to actually realize this vision. So there are some things that oh, not like not a single ordinance can accomplish, and this also requires a lot of different bureaus, including the environment bureau, the environment, uh, environmental, uh, environment and ecological bureau, and also a lot of different bureaus to contribute and also to um, to decide what's the sustainable de uh, development directions for Hong Kong, but. Um, there's a, there's a more comprehensive and high-level uh, task that the government have to done uh, have to do, but then uh, when it comes to the time planning process, I think that uh, even after streamlined the, pro the even after streamlined procedures, uh, like the public still have uh, channels to express their opinions. Professionals can also contribute their ideas actively through this engagement exercise. So I think, uh, like, on, on one, I would try to summarize. On one hand, the government needs more actively planning on the high level on different aspects to improve the comprehensive quality of life. But then at the same time, when it comes to the operation and the implementation, it's also necessary to think about how we can better enhance and smooth the procedure. Yeah. Uh, Caesar Choi, how can we do that? Yeah. How, how, how can we better enhance the procedure? I, I think I think I think that sounds quite contradictory. Jackson uh, uh, just mentioned that we, uh, in order to achieve a more sustainable development or in response to climate changes, we need more opinions by uh, different parties, including professionals and the public. And the bill right now is exactly compressing this process and reducing it to maybe one or two stages. But in previous processes, or we can see that it is a. It is a dynamic process, and the discussion is not just limited to this town planning process. It's about um, having enough time for the society in general to um, to have discussions outside the town planning processes, and 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 yeah. So 
I, I, I think uh, it is quite contradictory when you want to... Yeah, I, I just want to... Uh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. I just want to respond to your point on that. So, uh, yeah, I just now mentioned that it's very important to have uh, the inputs from the community. But then again, a lot of uh, ideas on the quality of life or sustainability. Actually, the government also have a lot of different plans, like the Climate Action 2015 or the Romance on. Like, uh, like for different uh, environmental issues and then f uh, for conducting, like during the process of conducting this long-term planning, there's also a long time for uh, like uh, the public engagement and also for professionals yeah, to but, contribute yeah, the ideas. Is, so I, wa I want to make a point yeah. is that uh, urban planning procedure is not the only ordinance or the only uh, stage where public can voice their opinions. A lot of different Ordinances, when we are talking about land resumption, foreshore and seabed, or in other long-term planning, there are also public engagements. So I just want to emphasize that uh, the urban planning or statutory plan making procedure is not the only point where we can make our, or like, make our voices heard. Mm. Caesar? Mm. Yeah, Caesar, please. Yeah, but from previous, previous developments, we can see that... Um, there were a lot of inappropriate planning, and even with even with the current uh, systems of uh, discussion, there we we couldn't. We I don't think there there was a um, effective um, like the government didn't really res respond to the um, public opinion. As I, I think this book um, this uh, tabling of this bill is exactly quite illustrative of how uh, we need a more dynamic process of. Um, consultation like i think a lot of the concerns we raised right now have already been raised by uh, civil society half a year ago but uh, the bill we see today didn't didn't make uh almost make no changes to the um original bill say the concern on the right to zoning and land resumption before the work funding was approved so i, I think this bill is already quite illustrative of the need for a more thorough discussion of the um, whole planning process, and it, and it's important because this bill, this this development bill, is critical to a lot of the land development, say um, reclamation and land resumption. These are irreversible processes. So, it, it I think it, and the development is talking about ten to like a decade, but um, it, the, the discussion is last for about maybe uh, several years. So, I think. Balancing that, maybe the uh, the outcome is a long-term outcome. I think it deserves more time for uh, mature discussion. Yeah, um, Jacqueline, I do agree with your point that the government as a whole needs uh, more visionary approaches in land development. Uh, but that is not a statutory procedure. Uh, we can't really force the government to uh, to talk about the vision uh, at a higher level. And there are many other stakeholders in this community, including property developers. So, um, um, what, what's your what's your take on that? How can we sort of encourage the government to um, to to talk about this at, at a higher level, to look at things more comprehensively? Yeah, I think so. Like, it's really about where the government realise that a lot of issues they are confronting during the development runout needs to be handled by a comprehensive policy and comprehensive vision. 
I think in the previous session, uh, indeed you mentioned about the relocations of certain operators or old factories in the new development areas. That's exactly a point I want to make on a comprehensive strategy. It's exactly because the government uh, currently does not have a very like comprehensive strategies on how to support the logistics sectors. So we can see a lot of different uh, brownfield operators. They are relocating from one area to another area. Imagine if we have a comprehensive vision on supporting the logistic industry here in Hong Kong. Perhaps we can see that the government has uh, already established certain uh, logistic park or industrial parks, which allow them to systematically and uh, uh, comprehensively to rehouse these uh, logistic operators and then at the same time to help them uh, upgrade to a more high-tech operations well. So I think it's just one example to illustrate uh, the need uh, that like the government needs to realize a lot of problems need to be solved through a uh, comprehensive and also a strategic visionary Policies. Okay, all right. Well, thank you very much uh, to you both. Uh, we're going to have to bring uh, uh, this part of the programme uh, to a close. Thanks very much for taking part. That was uh, Jacqueline Hoy, who's a researcher with the R Hong Kong Foundation. Thanks very much to Caesar Choi, a member of the LIBOR research community. And before nine o'clock, we heard from Albert Lai, a policy convener of the Professional Commons. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. And moving on now, we're going to turn our attention to uh, one of Hong Kong's uh, major international and local sporting events, and that is the, the marathon, uh, with the news that the numbers uh, allowed to take part uh, are going to be uh, increased uh, the uh, agreed total before was 25,000. Now an extra 12,000 will be able to be involved uh, in the marathon, uh, which takes place uh, in February. We're joined uh, on the line by Dennis Ung, Executive Director at the Hong Kong Association of Athletics Affiliates. Uh, Dennis Ung, good morning to you. Hi, good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, so I, I must say, it does feel like... Uh, certainly in terms of numbers at least, um, taking part in this mass event, we're moving back towards something more like normality? Oh, yes. Uh, we are grateful for, for government's approval for increasing quota. Mm. Uh, actually, since uh, the uh, government uh, issued a, a principal approval in uh, September, uh, we also liaised with uh, the government closely uh, on uh, see whether it is possible to further increase the quota to fulfill the uh, public demand. Uh, actually, uh, uh, during the public uh, ballot registration, we have received more than uh, 50,000 entries, uh, in which they indicate their interest to participate in this event. Yeah. So uh, what will you do with the extra 12,000? Uh, offer them to people on the waiting list? Oh, yes. Uh, actually, uh, the, the first round of ballot is, uh, has been announced, uh, the result has been announced in late October, uh, mm. sorry, late November. Uh, so, uh, we, uh, we, we postponed the announcement of the second, uh, second round ballot, uh, because uh, most of them are waiting is that we are closely engaged with, uh, the government regarding, uh, the possibility of to increase the, the, the quota. So, uh, we received the, uh, official approval, uh, the, the written approval, uh, last week. And we 
prepare, uh, uh, we, we work for seven days, uh, several days uh, to uh, arrange logistics. So the uh, result of the second round ballot has been announced yesterday uh, through email as well as uh, they can log in their website to, 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 to uh, see that result. All right, okay. Right. And um, uh, Dennis, uh, uh, the numbers used to be much higher before COVID times. I, I thought it was in the 70,000s. Uh, it yes, includes a lot of uh, a lot of num a lot of the runners uh, took part in the 10 km race, and um, so I guess uh, with this very limited number, 37,000, you are not going to have the 10 km, or how how does it work? Uh, yeah, uh, you, you, you mean this year? Yeah. Oh, uh, this year we, we, we still have the 10K half marathon and also the marathon. And uh, with the increase of the uh, code entry quota, so uh, uh, the, the, the new uh, co- uh, allocation will be as follows. For 10K, we, have, we will have uh, 20,000 runners. For half marathon, we will have uh, 11,500. And uh, finally, for the, for the marathon, we will have uh, 5,500 runners. And we make up the 37,000 in total. So, so the full marathon, the the forty-two kilometer marathon. So, you so you you have five thousand five hundred runners for that. Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, how how many would you uh, in normal times have for for the full marathon? Uh, for the full marathon before the pandemic, as I recall, it should be around eighteen thousand. Mm. Uh, of course, uh, this, this comprises not only the, the local runners but also the overseas runners as well. Right. Right. Yeah, and, and do you expect uh, a few uh, international runners coming because the pandemic, um, well, the quarantine measures have been sort of lifted and reduced. Surely uh, they yeah. can come, right? Yes, uh, and uh, for overseas runners, we, uh, it will be divided into two uh, categories. One, uh, in which will be invited by the organisers in, uh, or, uh, or invited by the Hong Kong A, and uh, they are the elite overseas runners because we need to fulfil the requirement uh, for uh, for maintaining our uh, w- uh, World Athletics Gold Label Gold Race status. So it will be around uh, trend, uh, not more than 20 uh, international runners in which they are qualified as the elite runners. And we will, uh, we will take care of their accommodation as well as the uh, logistics arrangements. So they will uh, arrive Hong Kong uh, maybe three to four days before, before the events and uh, stay in our uh, official hotel and then uh, compete for the race on the 12th of February. Mm-hmm. And also apart from the Runners, we will also have uh, some runners. Uh, of course, they may be uh, uh, tourists, uh, tourists, in which they they, they they learn that the Hong Kong marathon is uh, in town, uh, travel for February, and then they register and come. And as uh, as my uh, my record so far is around uh, around around uh, four four hundred uh, international runners, in which they use uh, their passport to, to register uh, uh, as a as a public entry. Right. Um, how important is the Hong Kong Marathon uh, to you know Hong Kong as a city for sports? I think it's very important. It is very significant because uh, the, the marathon is uh, unlike uh, the rugby sevens and, and other spectator sports uh, in which uh, uh, participants are really running into the events. And uh, of course, the cyclone in, 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 in coming Sunday is also a, a significant event as well. But of course, uh, for for the Hong Kong Marathon, it is uh, more significant because the number of uh, participants is significantly higher, and it, it, it more than three uh, thirty thousand. It, it, it really a sign for comeback uh, to, to 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 the new normal, and we hope that 
after this uh, successful, uh, this event being held successful, uh, with more and, and the larger scale, we will be, come back in the uh, coming months or years. But, but uh, this is not a spectator sport, and uh, it is. Um, I mean, do you still allow people to cheer yeah. along the way, and uh, would there be any restrictions? Uh, for uh, uh, of course, uh, for 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 the uh, view of the uh, anti-pandemic uh, uh, measures, uh, uh, government is not encourage uh, uh, the 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 public to to gather uh, uh, too crowded uh, to the cheer for for, mm. for for the runners, and and of course, in view of the uh, uh, the, the, the group gathering uh, restriction. But of course, uh, uh, as our experience in twenty twenty one. and friends of the runners uh, still uh, support their, 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 their friends, uh, the runners uh, along along the street, especially in the Hong Kong Island side. And we we, we plan to see that. And of course, uh, uh, in view of the uh, any pandemic control or, 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 or uh, the, the, the the habit of the of the local citizens, they are well well aware of, of uh, staying uh, uh, reasonable uh, social distance with, with other uh, other people. Okay, well, let's hope it's a great event for all the participants. Um, uh, Thanks a lot for joining us uh, on the programme. Dennis Ong, Executive Director at uh, the Hong Kong Association of Athletics Affiliates. And it's that time again, the last uh, part of the programme. We're joined in the studio by our sports reporter, uh, Atom Chung, for a look ahead to tonight's first uh, World Cup semi-final. Atom. Yeah, this is going to be a big game because, uh, you know, two very strong teams tonight. Kickoff is at 3 a.m. So uh, Argentina and Croatia, they've actually met twice in the World Cup before. The first time was back in 98 France. That was won by Argentina. But more memorably, uh, four years Years ago, Croatia beat them 3-0 on the way of uh, reaching the final. Uh, but this time, uh, it'll, it'll be very different. Um, both teams have been playing very well uh, going into this. Uh, interesting fact, though, Argentina have never lost a World Cup semi-final match. So you can say their winning percentage once they reach this point is 100%. Uh, so both times uh, they reached the semi-final, they actually went on to win the World Cup, of course, back in 1978 and 1986. Mm. And uh, a big game for uh, the star players on either side. So you've got, you've got Lionel Messi and Luka Modric, and they're, and they're both, this is going to be their last chance, isn't it, really, to win the World Cup? Yeah, it will be, it will be. I'll, I'll start with Argentina. This is Messi's team. Uh, he's carried this team. Uh, and, and to be honest, I don't know if it's a good thing for Argentina because I'm still waiting to see more from this team. So in order to win, I, I feel they need to be more disciplined. They picked up eight yellow cards in the last game against the Netherlands, uh, and they need strong defending. All right, I need to see more from guys like Christian Romero and Nicholas Altamendi to to really uh, be tighter at the back, and uh, a little more support for Messi too in the midfield. So so that will be their key. I'm also looking for a forward like Julian Alvarez to step up for them and score a, t- a key goal, and maybe Lautaro Martinez as well. He was the one who scored the winning penalty against the Netherlands. He's been benched for the last few games. Hopefully, that'll bring back his confidence. Uh, Jim, you mentioned Luka Modric. Mm. He's 37. 
I don't know how he keeps us up. He's the engine of their midfield, and so uh, they will be counting on him. But the good thing with Croatia is they've got a lot of things going well for them. Uh, they're strong defensively. They're very disciplined. Um, I also like their back line very much. Uh, Josep Juranovic, uh, their side back, uh, played very well against Brazil. He basically denied Vinicius Jr. from attacking, and he had to be subbed off. So him, alongside Bonia Sosa, can be strong uh, attacking support uh, from the side. So, so we're looking for that. And also, they have the trump card, their goalie, mm. Dominic Levakovic, who's been the star of this World Cup. Yeah, he's a great stopper. <laughs> so what, what do you think might swing it for either side? Um, I think if Argentina can get better support in the midfield, they could come away. And I, I don't want to say they can steal this game because I think Croatia does look stronger. One good thing for Argentina, they do have Angel Di Maria healthy as well as Rodrigo De Paul, their two midfielders. Di Maria didn't play the last game. I hope he starts this one because he's the guy who can hold the ball uh, down the wing and provide the attack. Uh, as for Croatia, I mentioned the, the defenders, but also um, maybe Ivan Perisic can come up with something special. He's very good in the air. What if Croatia decides to throw a long ball at Argentina? Uh, Lino Messi has been talking about how much he hates long balls and he felt disrespected by Louis van Gaal when Netherlands threw long balls at them in the second half of that uh, last game. So look for guys like Ivan Perisic and Andre Kramaric to uh, really, uh, you know, jump high, get to the ball, beat the Argentina guys in the box and maybe get a goal, an early goal for Argentina to uh, give Argentina a little scare. Great, wonderful. Well, well, we'll talk to you again tomorrow to get a, a, a post-mortem on the game and a look ahead to the next uh, semi-final. Thanks very much, uh, Atom. So, a quick uh, look at the weather before we go to the news summary and morning brew. Uh, it's going to be uh, cloudy with one or two light rain patches. Uh, and top temperature today around 17 degrees. Um, the outlook, though, uh, cool with a few rain patches in the next couple of days and winds strengthening from the north. And it will be, uh, it'll become cold appreciably, so the observatory says, during the weekend. Uh, temperatures in the urban areas will fall uh, below 10 degrees on Sunday. Well, it's currently 15 degrees, humidity 61%. Uh, thanks very much uh, to our listeners and thank you to you, Ada. Thank you, Jim. We always use escalators, but we could easily fall on them if we're not careful. So when using escalators, don't look at your mobile phone. Remember to stand on either side and hold the handrail. Lift your foot at the end of the ride. Children should be accompanied by an adult. Use a lift when traveling with a baby pram or bulky items. 